I don't know. I think my work has like a, a vulnerability to it because it's really like me or the things I'm going through or it's about my family. So to use us as characters to me makes it like authentic. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. Being an artist is more than making work. The work is everything, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But truly, are you living a life that fulfills you? Do you wake up giving your all to what you do every day and happily look forward to doing it again? Our guest today is Clarence Hayward, painter collage artist out of North Carolina. He says he can't let go of this art life for nothing. I hear you, baby. (laughs) Yeah, Clarence, that's a bar right there. He's only been doing art for a few years full time, but he's already in museum shows, already making his way into collections, and he's already built the practice that makes him excited to keep going back to the studio and keeps his family happy more than anything. We talk about the studio visits, his approach to painting black people, his inspiration, but really gets what really gets me excited is seeing this man find his purpose in his art. He jumped into it with both feet and now he's out there making it work uh, more than I could have dreamed. You see, I'm going off script right quick. <laughs> I'm going off script. I'm going for it because I'm so excited for today. This is what I'm talking about when we talk about the noise. Right. Yes, it's the it's the charcoal on your paper. Yes, it's the palette knife on your board. Yes, it's the sound of the press and the, the paper and and all the things is all of that stuff. But the noise really is that that moment of creation where you're doing the thing that you're supposed to do at that time. It don't get no better than that. You can't be nowhere else but right there with the paper, with the brush, with what you're doing. In your mind, expressing yourself, you're creating something special. So, I I mean, I listened to this episode. I couldn't I couldn't wait to finish editing, (laughs) editing this podcast so I could get back in the studio. That's how excited I am to hear this story. You know, I left North Carolina because I didn't know if I could build the kind of art life for myself that I wanted when I was there. And I'm looking at him do it. And it's so exciting. It's so exciting. To listen to this story of the man that did it because little Jamal didn't know 16 year old Jamal that wanted to be an artist. I didn't know the possibilities. I didn't know how to do it. And so that more than anything, the Studio Noise podcast, that's what it's all about is black. I'm bringing you the best black artists from all around because we need to see it. We need to hear it. And more than anything, I want to go out and show you. That all the people that's out there doing it, you just need to connect the way we all connect with each other. Artists out there and black people out there. Because I see you. I see you out there doing it. You hear me, black man? You hear me, black woman? I see you. I feel what you're doing. I see how you got them coming out of that kiln. 
black ceramicists. <laughs> you got them coming out that kill, hot and fresh out the kill. Ain't that right, Dante? Ain't it right, Dante? Hey, shit, shout out to Dante, man. I see you got them coming hot and fresh out the kill. I see you, black man, painter, black woman, painter, black creator. I see you putting it down on that board, giving your all to it. You're special. You're doing something special. And that's what this podcast is about. That's way off script. <laughs> Way off script. It don't even matter. We don't even know where, where where's my script at. I don't even know where it's at. I'm so excited. This is what I'm talking about. This is what the podcast is about. Bringing you the best black and black contemporary art by by far. Are we the number one art show? Maybe not, but we the best art show by far. This is super black and super happy, super proud of the people that are doing it right now. You're doing it, black man. You're doing it, black creator. I see you. Keep doing it. Don't you dare stop making that noise. Because we need it, baby. <laughs> yes. Yes, we need it. I can't wait. I'm sort of like, get off this mic. I'm going back to the studio. That's what I'm talking about. Powerful conversations. Brought to you on Studio Noise Podcast. Where my script at? <laughs> let me get back to it. Get back to it. Get off these rants. Studio Noise Podcast, yes, www.studionoisepodcast.com. Where I'm at in my script. Let me <laughs> Yo, I'm wilding out up here, yo. I'm excited today, yo. This is great stuff today, yo. Yeah, so go check us out at Studio Noise Podcast on, on IG. I'm sharing pictures and images of Clarence's work all week long. Uh, always sharing stuff from the fam. Studio Noise fam, there's all the black artists out there doing it right now. You're part of the fam. We see you. We love you. Uh, keep doing it. Make sure you hit the link. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm completely lost. Hold on. Let me start over. All right. Studio Noise, www.studionoisepodcast.com. You got an archive of the best contemporary art conversations that's out there anywhere available. Make sure you check us out. If wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Make sure you share the episodes. Make sure you rate and write a review so everybody knows about the noise. Uh, join the Patreon. If you really like what you hear after you listen to this, is you ex as excited as I am to hear this podcast, go on, drop a few dollars. Make sure I keep this thing going. Keep bringing you the best contemporary black art. Keep building this amazing archive of all these incredible art voices from their own mouths, from their own studios, letting you know what's up. And, and that's what I do. That's what I do right here. This this intro is a little uh, flabbergasted, but it's only because I'm so excited about what we got going on. If you're, I'm excited. I just want you to go out, share it with your people, yo. Find two artists, your young artists, or old artists, somebody that ain't been doing it, that got stuff in the back of the closet and still kind of thinking about art. Yo, put this down for them. Go ahead and share this one with them. Go ahead, text them, tell them they need to listen to this episode right here because this one is going to get you off that couch, going to get you back in the studio. It's going to get you to the noise, baby. And that's what it's all about, studio noise. So right after the break, we got Clarence Haywood on the podcast. Tell everybody it's the noise. That's right. Yes. Hey everybody, my name is Gracelyn Haynes. I'm a visual artist and a figurative painter. I'm currently based in New Jersey and you're listening to Studio Noise Podcast.
right, the studio noise, the voice of black art. It's your boy Jay Barber back with you, bringing on another incredible guest, bringing all the guests that you want to know that you need to know. And I got my man Clarence Hayward right here on the podcast. How you doing, man? Good man. How you doing? I'm chilling, man. I'm so glad to get a chance to talk to you, man. You know, I, I people always ask me like how I pick guests on the show, and like usually it's just like when you see something interesting, like I just take note of it. You know what I'm saying? And then just try to connect with people. And so, you know, I saw like a bunch of your work, man. And I don't know, just it stood out to me and connected with me. So it was something I want to talk about, yo. So that's why you're here right now, man. Thanks for coming on. Oh, man, I appreciate the invitation. Thanks for having me. For sure, man. Carolina boy, man, you still in North Carolina right now. Uh, I always <laughs> I left North Carolina because I wanted to be an artist and I didn't feel like North Carolina was the place. But you're in North Carolina and doing it in a way that I never did. And so I think that's an interesting story, man. How'd you end up in North Carolina, bro? Uh, I came down to North Carolina in 2001 to go to North Carolina Central University. And after I finished, man, I just stayed here. <laughs> that's it right there, man. That <laughs> was up, yo. We just fell in love with that Carolina blue sky. What was <laughs> hey, Look, man, uh, the cost of living is good. The, the, the food is good, right? Like... I don't know, man. It, it wasn't it wasn't New York, right? So yeah. I'm from New York. I'm from New York originally. Um, I mean, New York was fun, but I also, you know, saw my parents struggle there, so I wanted to try something different. I guess. Yeah, let's get in the way, yo. And Central's not like a, a art school per se, but you think? How do you think you did there? And like, what do you think it did for you? Hmm. Well, honestly, I was a knucklehead in Central, but. Um, I guess speaking, talking to a lot of the teachers there, you know, the professors, you realize like you can't make a career, you know, through art. And I'm, I've always been into art, interested. I went to art schools growing up. I went to art, performing arts high school in New York. Um, so I knew that it was possibilities, but I also knew I needed a job. So I was just there trying to, you know, get an art education degree. And funny thing is, uh, during student teaching there, my last year there, they told us the starting salary for an art teacher was $27,252. <laughs> uh, I'm going to remember that number you know, forever. <laughs> I might as well get it tattooed on me because that day I vowed to never teach art. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that was like the opposite effect. They <laughs> Yo, that's hilarious, yo. You still remember I mean, that number. I mean, you. I mean, it was like twenty years ago, but I st- I knew that wasn't a lot of money. Yeah. Like twenty years ago, so I was like, "Nah, there's there's no way I can live off of it." Nah, that's that's true, yo. That's real, man. That's that's what a lot of people out here going through too. Like, it, it, you kind of had to balance it with like just the love of the student and the interaction and the and that kind of stuff. Like that ends up being uh, what keeps people there, not the money. You know what I mean? Yeah, and at the time, you know, I wasn't thinking about all of that. I was just thinking about, all right, I need a job after college. I'm going to teach. Teachers, you know, they all seem happy, the ones I knew, right? They yeah. all seem happy, and like, they all had pretty decent cars and seemed to be living good lives. And then when I heard the number, I was like, how? They must be you know, <laughs> married to doctors or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes yo pay the art teachers man <laughs> pay the art yeah. teachers yo yeah, that's, what's the art teachers. that's what's up man and so in when school 
so you say you did visual arts in high school and in college. Mm -hmm. Was it always mm -hmm. painting for you? Because I mean, your work now, no. like your work now, is like acrylic and gold leaf, like a lot of different stuff in it. Like, was it always painting? No, man. I was more of like a graphite and charcoal guy. Like, I really, I was a a drawer, I guess. Right, I just drew a lot, mm -hmm. and I I really shied away from painting because I didn't really know how to control it or you know how to use the material. So I just drew all the time. And actually, I really just picked up painting, to be honest, heavy, like four years ago when I quit my job or whatever, because going to museums and going to shows, I realized like people looked at drawing as a prerequisite for painting. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's a few guys out there who made it successful, like just drawing or whatever, but it's, it's few and far in between. So I said, I have to learn how to paint. So I got a, actually I got a residency like a month after I left my job. And I just, man, I painted. If it was maybe 24 hours a day, like all the time, like I would go to the studio because that was my first time having a real studio outside of my house. I would just go and paint all day, come home and paint all day. Like, so I just figured out what I was doing. I mean, I'm still figuring it out now, but to where I felt like I had a good, you know, good handle on the material. And so do you, in the, this time that you were painting, like after the residency, like during the residency while you were painting, did you feel yourself growing like did you feel like starting to get an understanding like what you were doing or like what was it that kept you in that mood to like really get at it um well two things kept me in it um at first it was just man i don't want to have to go back to work right so i had to figure this thing out and that to be honest was the biggest motivator but then it was like at the residency i was in a place where there was like 25 other artists and everybody's so good and everybody's like a professional and i'm looking like man i'm the weak link here like so i'm asking everybody questions i'm still continuing to go to workshops i'm youtubing it of course i'm speaking to all the other artists like hey how do you do this how do you do this and everything people are telling me i'm just applying it and like i'm re yeah i'm reading books on podcast like i'm like researching like crazy like i don't have an mfa but i pull that period like i was getting an mfa because i was in it yeah that's that's how you got to do it man especially when you're not in school and so all yeah. that hard work man is starting to pay off for you it's starting it is paying off for you obviously <laughs> they got you on the show uh, so it's paying off yeah. for you and so like you got a bunch of shows up right now you got truth and memory at craven island gallery and that's up through uh june 25th uh, a lot of all-stars in this show like some people that have been on the podcast like lynn marshall and i love her uh, she used to live in Atlanta. She moved out there. Uh, love her work. Been trying to get on the podcast for so long. <laughs> Lynn is okay, so great to cool. talk to. I don't know if you've ever met her, but she's a wonderful to talk to. Um, oh, yeah. I met her at the opening. She was really cool. Yeah. Then you got Juan Logan, Renzo Ortega, Samantha Rosado. That same sounds like an excellent group show. The pictures are incredible. And you have another oh. show, Unseen at Cam Riley through October. Uh, and that's a, a fantastic looking show, man. I appreciate it, man. We gotta get you up here to, to to check it out. It's up for a while. Um, yeah, that's my first uh solo museum exhibition. I'm kind of really excited about it. That's what's up, man. How did that? How do you? How do you feel about that transition from you like leaving your job, not even really in your own words, knowing how to paint, right? And mm -hmm. and then now, like four years, four or five years later, man, you got a museum show at Cam Riley, man. What's up with that? Uh, well, I tell everybody, like, it definitely didn't happen overnight. And my four years is probably like somebody else's eight. 
because I'm I'm doing double time. Like I have a I have a studio outside of my home. I have a studio at home. Like pretty much, if I'm not eating breakfast and dinner with the family, I'm doing something art related, either researching, painting. Like it's a family affair because my family is involved with it too. Because you know they see they see the growth, so they I guess they want to keep it going. But yeah, man, I just I make so much work and I just you know share it like i'm not afraid to reach out to curators and directors and let them know i'm here let them know what i'm doing i get a lot of studio visits and a lot you know a lot of conversations around the work and that, that's great man. Yo, i love that i love that that's a that's a great um spot man i don't think we've talked a lot about that part of the art thing um uh, is getting people to the studio now you now for this show you reached out to the curators and invited them to your studio space. Is that what happened? Well, before um, this cam show, I had another. I had a, a show, um, just a show in a gallery previously before the show, and I invited some of the curators to come down. And my work has been around like the Raleigh Durham area a lot, so they had already seen it. So then, when I invited to them, them to the show, the show actually was in 2020 during COVID, so it was on um, private appointment only. So what I did was I was at every private appointment. Mm, so yeah. Instead of the gallery instead of the, you know, the gallery, people sitting in the gallery and all that. I said, no, I'll I'll be there. I'll be in every one because I didn't know who was coming. And I'm like, I want to be when the right person walks through the door, you know, or a curator or a director, I want to be there to meet them and explain the work to them myself. And that's exactly what happened. Like the directors from Cam came and I was there. So we walked through the work. And they was like, oh, well, what else you got going on? And they scheduled a studio visit and they saw the work I was doing. And it was just like, well, what are your plans for this? And I don't, to be honest, I usually just start making bodies of work. I don't know where they're going, right? I'm just in the studio working. Yeah. And, that, and they're like, well, you know, we, what are you going to do with it? And I was just like, I figured that out. You know, once I, they was like, well, you know, we got a spot open in about a year. Would you mind showing that cam? And I said, of course. And, that's how it happened. That's what's up, man. That's the, <laughs> that's what's up, man. That's <laughs> that's the work right there. That's that background work that people like don't know about and kind of don't know like how to do it. But just putting yourself in that position, man. I think that's a great note, man. Anybody listening, yo, make that make that note right there, yo. Be there. You know what I mean? Like invite people to the show and be there. Be you know take that little extra effort and now look at you. Got got a short cam, man. That's what's up. Yeah, I'm reaching out to everybody. I mean, the worst they can say is no. Exactly, yo. <laughs> exactly. And that don't hurt nobody, yo. No. That's what's up, man. And so you say it's a family affair. I know you use your children in your art like a lot of times, man. Yeah, so that started out just as, you know, I, they were there, right? Free models. <laughs> there you go, yeah. So, yeah, so and before yeah, started, they there and they cute. So, you know what I'm saying? Why not, right? <laughs> yeah. So... So before like, I figured out, you know, what I wanted to paint, I was just painting like random, you know, like everybody else, celebrities and random people. You find a good picture on Instagram, right? Yeah. And, and then I, you know, I'm like, okay, what do I want to paint? And like, or what do I know best? Or what, you know, what stories can I tell? Because I'm always attracted to like artists who have stories or, you know, they actually are saying things throughout their work. So I said, well, you know, the story I know best is my life. So I started making work about, you know, being a father or being a husband or, you know, just my experiences day in and day out. 
And then, you know, just, I don't know, just things just start forming and just end up with bodies of work just based on my life. So, I mean, I, I mean, that's pretty much my model. I just, you know, really just look inward and you know, see what I'm going through. It's kind of like therapy, but, it's, I, you know, I just make it for the world to see. Yeah, enough stuff, man. I know one of the pieces that you use your daughter was called Candyland, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you both my my yeah. daughters in Candyland. Yeah, tell me about that piece. How you how it kind of came together? Because you got the dresses, you got the pattern in the background, all that good stuff. Them holding hands, like it, it's it's a very very amazing painting, man. <laughs> Honestly, it was really dope. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, Candyland came about because so Candyland is in the uh, that cam show right now. Um. Back, a little background story about that show. Um, that show came about as I was thinking about my response to like witnessing the murder of George Floyd on television and the role like the media plays. So, Kindleland is like my response, thinking like, what ha- what would happen to my girls if what happened to George Floyd happened to me? Mm. And a lot of the pieces in that show follow the same um, like storyline. But Candyland, so my, of course, I mean, my kids play the game Candyland, and that's where the title comes from. But the way I do things, I research a lot of things. So I research Candyland, like, okay, what is it about Candyland that they like? Because I played it, and to me, it's like nonsense. It's just, you're just playing the play, <laughs> right? Right. So, so I looked it up, and it actually is meant to be nonsense, right? So it's like you're playing, but there's no... You can't ever really win. You just play to play. So when I started thinking about, you know, what would happen to my my children if I wasn't here, I said they, you know, they might be in a real life version of Candyland because, you know, I'm here to kind of guide them and give them discipline. But without me, what would what would happen? So they, I think they would be like in a real life Candyland. And then I started thinking about, you know, how people say, oh, they have daddy issues and stuff like that. I'm like, man, a lot of that would might happen to my children if I wasn't here. Mm-hmm. And I just came up with the composition. I mean, the colors of the dresses, I mean, they actually had those dresses on. So I made them a little more graphic or whatever for the, for the composition. But that's how that came about. That's what's up, man. And so you, you used it, that kind of green color for the skin. I know, uh, Amy Sherrill talks about why she uses her color for mm-hmm. skin. Like, why do you use this color? Okay, so um, so the green that I'm using, I'm using it in relation to like uh, chroma key technology. So green screen. Mm-hmm. So you know, green screen, whatever you you can, whatever you project on it, you can turn it into whatever you want. So in that same, in that same breath, I feel like as black people, we walk around wearing people's perceptions of what it means to be black. Hmm. I like that. <laughs> That's what's up, yo. Yeah. I don't I don't think I would have ever made that connection if you hadn't said it. But yeah, so, nah, that so makes yeah, perfect it's sense. Like, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, so it's, it's referencing like the images that of us in the media or you know, because a lot of people's perceptions of what it means to be black is based on what they see in the media. Yeah. So I mean I was playing off of that too. And it's funny you mentioned Amy Sherrill because I had this conversation with my wife about it a year and a half, two years ago, before I even started this body of work with the green. Um, and we were talking and she was she was just talking about um, you know, I guess the hierarchy of artists and, you know, how you gauge success. And she was like, You doing okay? 
well, the reason you're not where you want to be is because you paint black people brown. And I said, what do you mean we all brown? She was like, no, look at the artists, your favorite artists throughout history. Most of them don't just paint us as we are. And it's, I mean, she can't really explain why, but then I started looking at it like, you mentioned Amy Sherrill. Then we have Carrie James Marshall. And even like, you know, I like Kahinde a lot. Even he exaggerates, you know, the, the flesh with like hot, bright highlights and stuff. Yeah. And she was, and she's, she's like, well, I mean, you have to come up with something where people know who you are because if you just continue to paint, you know, as we are, you're going to look like everyone else. Like everybody paints us as we are because, I mean, you're trained to do that, you're taught to do that. And, you know, that's what we actually are brown. So when I stumbled upon, you know, the, the green and, I don't know, I'm kind of stuck, and I don't know, I think I'm starting to become known for the green, so, I mean, I don't know how long it's going to continue, as long as I, I can't just paint the paint, so as long as I have an idea and I'm still exploring it, it, it'll be around, but, I mean, if I run out of ideas, and I'm going back to brown. <laughs> <laughs> That's real talk, right? <laughs> That's a real talk right there. Yo, your wife is like uh, uh artistic genius or something, ain't she? She's like, yo, she got all the great ideas, yo. That's what's up. No, nah, it's, it's great that, to have. That's a, my secret weapon. That's my secret <laughs> for weapon. sure, yo. Yeah, because I mean, she has she has a a great point, man. Because if you do look at a lot of the people that are doing it, um. Oh, man, there's so many people you can name from Jordan Castile, uh, Lenise mm-hmm. Howard. I mean, you got um, Amani Lewis. Ah, so many people are exploring uh, representation beyond just the visual what exists. And mm-hmm. that kind of artistic exploration is like a separation between like what they do and what you do, you know, and everybody kind of gets their thing. I've been on this this kick for a little while. Where I've been thinking to myself, where what is going to be my thing? Because and I interview people and I see it's always like the one thing that people do that separates them. And so for you, it's kind of this green kind of color exploration. Um, mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about Alfred Conte before, but my man Conte, when I went to a studio and I saw him, he showed me like, yo, I'm start like putting this texture on these papers. Like I knew instantly, like, yo, this is different. Like, this is going to be his thing. Like, you just see it and you can just tell what kind of spirit it is. And so, like, you got to find that thing, like, whatever it is. But you also can't force it, right? Yeah, that you can't, exactly. like, you can't just make it something up and be like, yo, now everybody's going to know that I use, you know, pink ribbons in my stuff. Like, <laughs> <hey>, and nobody, <laughs> nobody gives a damn about the pink ribbons that don't mean anything. Like, it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, exactly. it's, it's a little, it's a, that's interesting insight from her. I appreciate that, yo. Does she does art? Does she do art still? Nah, my wife is a math teacher, actually. That's wild, yo. That's wild. That's yeah. a brilliant insight, yo. To give her a shout out, man. <laughs> uh, I definitely will. Yeah. I definitely will. That's what's up, man. So you started going along those lines. Like, what was the first ones that you did with the green kind of scan? Hmm. Um, so the first one that I did was uh, a painting called Invisible Man. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that one was a great uh, one. I'm laying on the ground like the same position as George Floyd because that's what technically sparked the, the whole exhibition. But you, but with green screen, you can't wear green in front of the green or you become invisible. So that's why I painted myself green in front of a back green background. 
because with that technology, I'm deemed invisible. And it's almost like we're desensitized to seeing black men in this position. Right. And funny story, when I um I when I made the painting, I invited a friend over to check it out. It was at my house. And so he's a black dude. So I thought he was gonna talk about, you know, George Floyd and everything because it was still fresh, you know, in everybody's mind. And then his first his response was like, Oh man, I didn't know you had a tattoo. <laughs> I'm like, dude, do you not do you not see me? And I was like, man, I guess this is a good idea because I'm invisible. <laughs> yeah, he paid no attention to the rest. Of <laughs> I'm like, I'm full spread out on the canvas. You like, you talk about my my, my tattoo? I'm like what? Yeah, that's wild, yo. That's wild. And so you and I walked through, and I walked through the exhibition with a group of kids, and they were just, they did the same thing. Like, hey, is that a real tattoo? <laughs> 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 Yo, I guess you only see it if you're ready to see it. I guess, like yeah. that, that's, <laughs> that's that's weird. Because now, when I saw it, the first thing I thought about was the George Floyd reference. Like I understood, like yo, I I got exactly what you what you're trying to say with it. Thank you. Yeah, and blend into the background, yo. So you use yourself as reference a lot in your in your pieces. Like what what, mm-hmm. what inspired that decision? I know a lot of artists that do the same thing, like Fahamu, uh, Eric Danielle, like so many people. Uh, use themselves as reference. Like, what do you think the meaning is? I mean, I think it started out of just like a necessity for a model. Like, I guess I started doing it a lot during my residency because, I mean, I was all I had. Right? Like, I at the time I just started Instagram. I would do calls for models and nobody would answer. Right? <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> you know, and I didn't want to be that guy randomly walking up to people like, hey, let me. I mean, I do it now, to be honest, but back then, I guess I wasn't as comfortable. And then, you know, I'm, I'm most comfortable painting myself anyway. And now I don't even look at it as myself. I look at it as just mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm a character in this story. It's still, and it's me because it's my story. But I know the world, a lot of times, they don't see it as me. They just see it as, okay, this is a story. And I'm just, I'm the main character. That's what's up, man. I don't, I don't know if I could build a body of work now without me in it. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, because you, yeah. you become like you, in a way, have gotten so comfortable with yourself uh, as the as the, as the the character uh, yeah. that it's almost essential to what you're trying to, what you're trying to do. Like you, it's part in part you're telling your, your story, period. You know what I mean? Yeah, and to me, it makes it like real. So like I don't know. I think my work has like a, a vulnerability to it because it's really like me or the things I'm going through or it's about my family. So to use us as characters to me makes it like authentic. And I don't know if I want to stray away from that yet. So even now, usually the people I'm painting, I have some kind of relationship with them. That's what's up, man. And so you, you've done uh, quite a few other portraits. I know one piece that you have at the at the Truth and Memory show has Rashawn Rucker in it. Like and so mm-hmm. now you're starting to use like other artists. Uh, there's another one, William Pope Thomas. Like you did. Oh yeah, yeah. William, William Pope Thomas. That's yeah. probably my favorite artist, to be honest. Um, yeah. So I did that. William Pope Thomas was back like in twenty. I think it was twenty twenty. We had an exhibition where um, one of the prompts was it was four artists in that show, and 
we had a video call. We had a like a call about the show, and one of the props was like, "How about we everybody, you know, draw hats out of a draw strolls out of a hat, and we all paint each other because we had to put in three pieces a piece." So I picked, I drew Will Paul Thomas, and I ended up painting in that portrait, and that was like the first time I had a big painting cell. To be honest, it was two years ago. Wow, because it was a forty-eight by a forty-eight by sixty. And that was the first time somebody, you know, just walked in and bought it right there. And I was like, man, people really pay this much money for, for artwork? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the whole, that's the game, right? Yeah, I mean, I saw smaller work prior to that, but that was the first time, like, somebody really walked in. I was like, man, I could buy a car with this. Wow. And I was like, okay, I'm wanting something. And, yeah. you know, I just, I just been working ever since. That's what's up, man. That's good stuff, yo. And so, the difference. What do you think the difference is from like using these kind of, I want to say, famous, but other artists that you know, like it, as reference for the pieces? And what do you think that does for the narrative that you're trying to convey? Like, does it become more about that person, or are you still working it into your narrative? Um. So, like, it depends. So, like, doing uh, Will Paul Thomas, I know him like really, really well. So, it's almost like. It was kind of like drawing a family member, like drawing a cousin or something. Like, I knew his story, so I kind of knew what elements to put in the painting, you know. Um, Rashawn Rucker, I know his work really well. I don't know him that well. I know him a little bit. Like, we both went to Central. Uh, I know some people that he's cool with, but he's a little older than me. But we follow each other on Instagram, and he posted this picture, and I was like, man, that's a, that's a dope picture. Can I paint it? I just hit him up. And he was like, yeah, man, go ahead. Um. And at the time, I had this Truth and Memory show coming up, and they picked a couple of pieces, but the pieces that they picked sold. So I kind of needed like other things to put in the, in the exhibition, and I was like, okay, I think this would be a good a good spot for it to land. So I kind of did it to put in that exhibition. Yeah. Absolutely, that, man. That turned out good too, yo. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't make it as part of like a whole series of work. I made it because I'm like, okay, I need. Two paintings to go. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> that's all it takes sometimes, man. That's, yeah. All, that's yeah. all it takes sometimes, yo. Yeah. So I mean, I got a couple of those. You know, like you know, we always have group shows. Yeah. So I'm always I'm always working on a body of work, but then I always have you know a couple in the studio that's like, all right, I really like the way this person look, or I know this person, or this person. This I did this painting, but it doesn't fit in this body of work anymore. Like I might have changed directions. So I always have a few on the side, like available for group exhibitions. Yeah, that's what's up, man. That's good stuff, yo. So yeah. when when you look at your work and you think about it, it's it's clear that like right now in this moment of black art, that a lot of stuff is coming down to uh, figuration, right? Black figuration mm-hmm. is kind of the thing to do right now. And so mm-hmm. you know you can you can clearly draw a straight line between you and like somebody like Barclay Hendrix and the kind of portrait mm-hmm. that they done. Tell me what you what you think about. Well, first, do you do you have you studied Barker and Hendrix? And man, and that's my favorite painter. That's when I realized I could be an artist. Uh, so I went to his show at the Nashville. I think it was back like in two thousand eight, and that was the first time I went to a show. Man, like I got emotional because I could see my family. Like I saw myself. I saw my family. I saw my people, and I was just like, man, like I had never seen anything like that ever in life. So, what, I mean, that was that's that's like inspirational to me. That's what's up. What, what was what was it about it 
that really resonated with you? Um, I don't, I don't know if it was. It wasn't really necessary, like real, the realism. It was really the people felt. It felt like people like I know. Like I felt like I was looking at like my cousins and my mm-hmm. parents, and I just saw my like my people. I'm like, oh man, like that's my aunt right there. That's my uncle. Like I know all of these people, and it was like life size, and it was like at the Nashville. So I'm like, man, this is a a nice spot. Like I've never seen, you know a body of work take over a space like this. So, yeah. That's what's up, man. That's what's up. And so a lot of this stuff, it, I would assume, inspired you to make some of the choices that you make. Like some of the like large color field kind of backgrounds, like a central figure, like placed in a dynamic pose, like stuff like that. Exactly. I mean, that's why I use the gold leaf because, I mean, my favorite painting is um, Barkley Hendrix, Lordy Mama. Um, well, everybody... They think it's like Angela Davis, but it was like his cousin, and it's like her in the middle, gold background. Mm-hmm. That's why I started using the gold leaf. I started playing around in the studio with it because I thought about that painting. Um, yeah, and I like the way his paintings. They seem so simple, but they're super dynamic, and it could be one figure, but it could tell like a whole story just by the way they pose or by the way they're looking at you. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, you know, I kind of use that as a reference a lot, like. I have a bunch of his catalogs and books and I kind of study them like, I don't know, a lot of times when I'm making cho- color choices, I'm like, what would uh, Barclay do? Yeah, that, that's not a bad question to ask right there. <laughs> what are you trying yeah. to do it, yeah. That's what's up, man. So in terms of where you're working process, that's interesting. We hit on another thing where I kind of do the same thing, but my guy's David Driscoll. When I go to the studio and start looking through stuff, like just, you know, starting the day, getting excited. You know what I'm saying? That kind okay. of thing. Like when you go to the studio, what's your day like? Oh man. So I usually get there around nine thirty, ten o'clock. Um, usually I'm already working on something from the day before. So I kind of get back to it where I left off. Um, but man, of course, you know, I might browse through Instagram for 20 minutes or whatever. Um, <laughs> so you see if I miss anything, you know, now it's yeah. like checking the news or whatever. Yeah. I like see if I miss, miss anything. Um, I had a bunch of art books, so it depends. If I'm working on a body of work and I have a clear vision, I'm just working on that. But if I'm, if I don't really have anything to work on, I'm just looking through art books and, you know, looking at compositions and colors and all right, just trying to, you know, really just listen to see if I can hear anything like tell me what direction to go into next. Yeah. But I mean, to be honest, I kind of have the freedom to just go into the studio and play right now. So I just, I'm just going in there playing, trying new things, and you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I'm just keep going. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Hamilton. I'm an artist, educator, and you are listening to Studio Noise. have a piece that when you were working that you started that really was the turning point for you you know because like right in the beginning like you started doing a lot of work mm-hmm. what you describe and it's kind of like was there one piece be like yo this is it like this is the kind of thing that i need to start doing 
it's funny because you know every time you make a decent painting, you're like, oh man, this is it. <laughs> but I, I, I realize like there's you know there's not like a one hit wonder kind of thing, right? So yeah. like it's a it's a body of work. It's like how much. I mean, I've been painting for four years, and I have I mean, at this point probably a hundred paintings. But you know, people probably only know me for like five or six. Yeah. Right. So. I don't know. Every painting, I feel myself getting better. Every painting, I mean, I, I hear my voice getting louder in every painting. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's just one. Um, well, what was the body of work then? Like that, like really kicked it off that you thought that okay. you personally thought was successful. You know what I mean? Whatever you define that word as. So the first time I put out a whole body of work was that show I had in 2020 when I invited all the curators. It was called uh, Descendants of Sire. It's an exhibition I had. I think I got a link. I had a lot of my work on my website. It's from that show. But um, that's the first time I put together a full body of work. I think it was like 12, 15 paintings. And I was just like, okay, I can do this forever. Like, because it was, it was, the story was clear. Um, Yeah, people responded to it well. It was like super honest. So it really was just about me exploring, like, what it means for me to be like a black American or whatever. I was kind of like, look like, where did I come from? Like, why do I gravitate to some of the things I gravitate to that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And like, where do I fit in in society? Um, yeah. So that was the first time I made a body of work that was just like, I guess thematic. And it was like, to me, it was kind of like making a movie. Like I felt like, I don't know, Spike Lee or somebody. And I was just like, okay, everything fits. I, I don't know, and it, it just worked out like exactly the way I wanted. Like it felt like all the playing I was doing, I was bringing out different elements that I had played with and figured out in the studio, and I was putting it into the work. Yeah, and I was like, man, like you know, all of those ugly paintings wasn't for nothing because I did five <laughs> ugly ones. But look what happened! Look what I made because I learned how to do this. So yeah, I mean that was the first time, and then ever since then, man, I've just been, you know exploring and making work and i'm not afraid to make you know these ugly paintings because i know eventually what they're going to become so i'm just figuring you know it's going to take a couple mistakes until you figure out new processes and yeah like before i got to the degree i'm at now i went through what is it 50 shades of gray i went through 50 shades of green man (laughs) trying to to figure it out what yeah, you know when I, when it was when I got to the one I was most comfortable with, I was like, all right, and I've been rolling with it since. So yeah, I'm. It's really just you know leaving room to play and saying exactly what you mean. I love that man, and that's that's. I talked to some high school students out in South Carolina. Shout out to Fort Dorchester out in Somerville, um, and I was trying to explain to them exactly what you're talking about. Is that in a lot of places that you go, like if if they were leaving high school or going to some other school or, you know, whatever level that you're thinking about listening to this podcast. I can't teach you that desire that you're talking about right there. You know what I mean? Like what what inspires a person to try 50 different shades of green to get to the one that he wants to use? Like what inspires somebody to keep doing like all these paintings for, you know, for the five or six that may actually hit for you? Like you can't teach the passion i can teach people how to draw like i teach at georgia state i can teach people how to draw like, like all day long mm-hmm. but like what it, what is in you that will make you draw when you have other options you know like when you could be doing something else or something more fun or 
like whatever like what is it the drive the passion that's involved in your life to make you want to do the paintings in the first place well i can tell you what it is for me um partially is my age right um i'm 39 so up until 35 I, I didn't live the life of an artist so i know what their life is i had to go to work every day i had to you know work at a, a job that i didn't necessarily like for the money so now i get to be an artist right so like this is a privilege so that to me that's motivation enough like i have to do whatever i feel like is necessary to stay in the position i'm in like to be able to make these paintings so if that means making a hundred ugly paintings in order to make one great one i'm gonna do that because like like i said this is a privilege man like i get up happy every day to be able to do what i do that wasn't the case you know five years ago so i'm like look i don't ever want this to end i want to do this until my hands don't work anymore like i'm happy my wife is happy my kids are happy like everybody's happy with the way things are going right now and i just gotta keep it going so that means being in the studio 15 hours a day if i have to or you know painting 100 shades of green to get to the right color or whatever it takes you know i'm just doing it yeah man that's it right there yo that's the message yo i love that and so yeah you told me an interesting story about like how you ended up like leaving your job man what <laughs> tell us about that man yeah man so um so about five years ago now um i had a job i was like a route manager at a um, trucking company whatever um so i moved about an hour out from the office so I had, you know, just long commute every morning and every evening. And the position I was in, I was a manager, so I had to get there, you know, early, and I had to stay late. And to be honest, it was driving me like insane. Like, you know, I had two little children at the time, so you know, a lot of times I was leaving before breakfast. I was coming home after dinner, and I just wasn't happy. And my wife wasn't happy, and you know, and I was like, look. I told my wife, like, you know, I don't know what I need to do, but something's got to give. And she said, well, why don't you just quit and be an artist? And me and my wife went to high school together, so she knew about my talent. And she actually ended up transferring to Central. So she knew, you know, our education background. She's like, man, just be an artist, be an art teacher. I don't know what you need to do, but, you know, you can't keep doing this. She's like, I give you a year, you know, to figure it out. But, you know, it's, something's got to give. So I kind of took it seriously. So for the, the whole year, I just painted. Well, not painted. I drew every day. I tried to paint a little bit, but it wasn't really working for me. Mm -hmm. But so I just drew every day and was making work and just researching artists and researching like how people make a living as an artist because that's one thing they don't teach you in school, right? It's how to make a living. Yeah, for like, sure. I know artists, but you know, most of them are like waiters or like mm. teachers, but they do, you know, art part time. I knew I was going to be full time. So I went to like seminars and I, I mean, I did everything for a year. And then when the year came up, she, like I said, I don't know if she had it set on her alarm clock or what. She was like, all right, <laughs> it's, it, it's been a year. That's it, like, yeah. What are you talking about, like, I'm, I know we talked about it. You know, you say I'm, I'm trying, but, you know, I'm not ready to put my job yet. Like, we still got two babies. And she was like, nah, like, if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. 
Like she handed me my resignation letter before I went to work. Wow. I took it to I took it to work and handed it in. And like I said earlier, I, I cried in the car, man, because I didn't know what I was gonna do. Like I knew I was gonna try to be an artist, but I don't know a lot of success stories besides you know the people that we read in the books. I don't on a daily basis. I don't know a lot of artists. Who are like oh yeah, I just I make my living as an artist and that's it. Yeah. So. I just went for it. Like I had nothing to lose at that point. I'm like, okay, well, I don't have a job, right? So all I have time <laughs> to do is is create. So I started applying for residencies, and within like a month after I left, I got a residency, and that's really when my life changed because it gave me a studio outside of my house, and I got to see other artists who make a living as artists, or you know, they go there every day like they're going to work. So I kind of was like they do in the hallway, like, hey, knocking on everybody's door. What you what you working on? And you know, how do you do this? And you know, you've been an artist for thirty years. You know, what did you do your first year and your second year? Like, I'm asking all the questions, trying to figure this thing out. And funny story, I'm only you know four years in full time now, and all of those people are coming to me asking me questions, like, so how did you do this? So you know, who did you contact for this? And I'm just like, look. Contact everybody. Like you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna get a hundred no's before you get two yeses. But yeah, I mean the two yeses are in there. You just gotta find them. That's what's up, and it, it is, and it's funny that you had that kind of experience because you weren't an artist, and I think that that hunger was the separation, and like maybe they had got you know, not to say they got complacent or whatnot, but maybe they had got too used to the way things are. And didn't see like as much um way to shake it up as you did because you were coming in fresh like you had nothing to lose like you know it was kind of like all or nothing like and that kind of energy makes you make different decisions yeah and also now i see you know putting that much energy into it works so now i'm just gonna keep putting the same you know like they say keep that same energy i'm just gonna keep that same energy yeah like I have, I have conversations. With people say, "Oh man, you're gonna get burned out." I'm like, "How? Like I know what it is to go to work and not like it. I'm never getting burned out. <laughs> burned out to me is having to go back to work. Yes, like, that's burned I mean, out. Don't yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah, this is work. Don't get me wrong, but I actually enjoy. Like this to me is fun. I get to have fun every day. Like you know, I can bring my kids to the studio, and you know, just yeah, I want to draw. Go ahead. Like you want to have fun. Go ahead. Like like I don't have to call out if I don't want to go to work like I don't know this is just I don't know it's a different life yeah I've, I've been there man I know exactly what you're saying <laughs> exactly <laughs> what you talk about yo been there yo yeah because it, and it's hard to explain to people that that it's not it's not a situation where I can get burnt out because I'm being fulfilled by the work like I'm not being drained by it you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like like you were describing, like I used to do, I was a U, I was a transfer truck driver for U-Haul. So all the broke trucks, they needed to be picked up and everything scheduled for maintenance. I was out there on 285 riding around Atlanta being broke down, getting towed. Oh, man. Like that was out there. Oh, so you know, you know the life. Oh, yeah. Like, you yo, the, and I was sitting there and I would, I remember vividly being broke down on 285, uh, sketching in my sketchbook waiting for somebody to come and tow this big diesel <laughs> U-Haul raggedy truck that I was driving. <laughs> like, I remember it vividly, yo. So, like, yeah, it's, it's that type of, of, of hunger, man. And actually, I think about that time a lot where I look through those old sketchbooks. Like, I, I had, like, I don't know, like eight or nine sketchbooks from that time period. 
And they were just full of a guy that was just trying to do it. You know what I mean? And I, I don't think I have that same energy like 10 years later. You know what I mean? Like, and I think about it a lot. Like, not, my energy is completely different. I think it's more focused. But it's not the same, like, raw, um, just, uh, it, it's, it's, it's almost chaotic. You know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, I got to do this. Like, I can't keep sitting on the side of this road with this raggedy truck. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I don't ever see it going away, but I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it changes over time because because you also like fall into your new pattern that you have. Like as you start to build a practice and get confident, of course, you're going to build from that point forward. Like so you're not going to always be like in a frenzied state. But you you can still be passionate about it. Like I'm still passionate about it, but it's not. It's just not the same. You know, in a good yeah. way. To me, it's in a good way. <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like I'm 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 hungry in a different way. Like I'm, yeah. I'm I mean, hungry. there's definitely there's definitely more structure to like yeah. to to my practice now. Like you know, before I would just go in, I'm just throwing paint everywhere. Now it's kind of like okay, well. You know, I'm getting requests for shows and exhibitions and stuff. So I was like, okay, I need to have, you know, 10 paintings for this, what I want to talk about. So now I have to write more and I have to actually mm-hmm. really think, you know, it's not working towards one body of work. Now I was like, okay, I'm juggling three bodies of work right now because I have an exhibition in three months and a year. And, you know, now a lot of people ask for work. So I'm like, okay, I got to have a couple pieces that I can just go at any given moment. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, I have to be in contact with the framer and, Make sure I have enough pain and canvas. So I mean, it's a lot more, but man, I wouldn't trade it for nothing. I feel that, yo. That's good work right there. That's what's up. Yeah. And so as you as you building these shows, uh, and continuing bodies of work, like what do you see yourself continuing, or are you just starting new stuff as you go forward? Um, man, it's really some stuff continues, and then some stuff is new, right? So, um. Like the show that's up right now at the museum, I can see myself, you know, building on that body of work because that body of work is kind of like a response to like this trauma that we see or that I experience, you know, through witnessing, you know, my people being murdered or whatever. I think I can continue to build on that because it continues to happen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, we looked just last week, right? I, yeah. I already have ideas for work about that stuff. So, I mean, like I said, this is kind of like therapeutic for me, too. So, I mean, I can't walk around just thinking about it all the time. I have to get it out. So, I mean, I think there's always going to be a place in my practice for that kind of work. But then it's also like, you know, reading and experiencing my, my, I have two girls, two daughters, so they're getting older. So how do I feel about that? Like, what are the conversations that we're having? Right. So there's always like, you know, motivation or like, inspiration for work because of my day-to-day my, a lot of my work is just based around my day-to-day you know i've been with my wife over 20 years now so like you know we have conversations like i build work about that like you know we might have i don't know an argument or laugh about something i can build bodies of work just based on like pretty much all my experiences there's something there so yeah i mean New experiences make new work, but you know the old experiences. I could just build on those bodies that I already made. Yeah, I like that. There's a lot of honesty in that. I'm actually about one piece in particular uh, called Tug of War. 
Tell me about that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, Tug of War. Um, so Tug of War was one of my earlier pieces from that show in 2020. Um, funny story about Tug of War because a lot of people think it's about one thing and it's not. So Tug of War is more about the shirt that I'm wearing in the um, painting than the actual American flag that I'm tugging. So um, that painting is really about identity. So that shirt that I'm wearing, it's like a dashiki style shirt, but I got it from TJ Maxx. The inspiration, <laughs> that's, that's where the inspiration for the um, the whole painting came from. So I walked into TJ Maxx one day. You know, TJ Maxx stuff is scattered everywhere. Yeah. But when I walked through the door, it's like I heard music playing from the side of the store. I don't know if it was like ancestral drums or whatever. Right. And all I did, I saw the shirt. No, I don't know. You haven't seen me in real life, but. I, I needed two X foot, right? The shirt was only extra large. I bought it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now this, this, the struggle is, yeah, I tried it on, it's super tight. Like my yeah. wife is laughing at me and everything, but I'm like, I don't care, I'm keeping the shirt. Like, But now I'm sitting to myself like, why did I buy this shirt? First of all, because it doesn't look like the, the you know clothing that I usually wear. And it didn't fit. So I was like, why did I have to have this shirt? And why am I refusing it to take it back? So now I start struggling. I'm like, okay, you know, we, we I know I'm African-American, but it's kind of like, where am I from? Like, did my people wear stuff like this? So I'm starting to struggle with all that kind of stuff. And then I look at the tag and it says made in Ghana. And then I, I have like, you know, like African masks and stuff in the house. And everything says made in Ghana. So I'm like, why am I attracted to all this stuff from Ghana? Like, am I from Ghana? So I made a a, a painting talking about just the struggle, my struggle with identity. Like, hmm. okay, I'm African, but I'm African American, so I'm pulling the flag. Um, the background, it was, I guess, a happy accident because at first it was just all plain, and I needed something to fill the space. And I kind of came up with that composition. But the the idea behind the shirt is really the struggle, my struggle for identity, and me taking that trip to TJ Maxx, buying something that didn't fit and trying to figure out why I had to have it. <laughs> yes. Inspired by a tight TJ Maxx shirt. That's what's up, man. Exactly. <laughs> but man, the conversations I, I heard around this piece, man, they were so deep. I was taking notes like, Oh, that's what you see. Like, yeah, I was, I was just talking about my TJ Maxx trip. But all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Joe. I love that. Cause that wouldn't, cause when you look at it, that wouldn't be the first thing that anybody would know, right? Nobody would know about TJ Maxx in this shirt, you know what I mean? Like, so they yeah, they started to add their own context to it, you know what I mean? I mean, it reads as political because of the flag and everything. But yeah. anytime you put a black body on the canvas, it's going to read political anyway. And right. technically, it kind of is political because I'm still, you know, searching for my identity in this land where, I, I mean, I'm from, but my ancestors aren't. So it's kind of like I'm still looking for that connection. But, you know, I've heard so much about this painting, like, you know, fighting the system and standing up and, like, people started, you know, making me sound like Nat Turner. And I'm like, man, I was just talking about. <laughs> that guy's a revolutionary, yo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, nah, I mean, I guess it is, but, you know, I mean. I mean, that's what I like about my work, too. I try to leave it open for interpretation. Like, yeah. I know the backstory, but, yeah. you know, other people, you know, people see so many other things in the work. 
Like I said, sometimes I just go to the gallery or the museum and I take notes just based on, I talk to people about the work. Like, so, um, you know, what do you see? You know, a lot of people, to be honest, don't even know, like, I'm the artist, so I talk to them about that and I can get, you know, raw opinions and feedback. And like I said, my, my artist statements have gotten a lot better based on some of these conversations. Yeah. That's what's up, man. Do you see yourself uh, actually going forward and getting, like, formal education in my face somewhere? Um, I don't think so. Um, I don't know. I talked to my wife about it a little bit. Um, I have conversations with friends who have MFAs, and a lot of them say, well, you know, I'm like, so what did the MFA do? And they're like, well, it gave me time to, like, you know, find my voice or time to research or, you know, build connections. And I'm like, well, those are all the things I'm doing right now. Like, I'm in the studio every day. I'm studying every day. Like, I'm making connections every day because I'm... I'm reaching out to people every day. Like this is not the stuff they're teaching you in school still. And I also talked to another um, artist because I thought about like, you know, like the Atelier style painting and everything. And he was like, well, why would you want to learn like your oppressor's language? (laughs) And I was like, man, you know, I mean, you might have a point, right? I don't, to be honest, my paintings are still kind of raw and I kind of like that about them. I think they're going to develop, you know, they're going to get, more structured over time, but I kind of like that to occur naturally. I don't want to be somewhere where they're like, no, you have to paint like this, or no, you have to do this. Yeah. And then I might even, I might lose my, you know, my voice per se. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessary. Like, I'm kind of like getting into like these museum collections and spaces now, and I've only had one asked me if I had an MFA and that was just during like a casual conversation. They had already purchased the work, so I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily need it. I, I don't want to be a professor anywhere. That's something. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I don't and know. I, if you don't want it, don't get it. <laughs> that's what I mean, I just don't know if it, if, it, if it was like necessary or I felt like it was a barrier. You know, if I hit a wall, I'm like, okay, I just need to get an MFA. Maybe, but at the moment, I don't. I mean, I, it's, I don't have that like that drive to like go through that. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't know a lot of people who had good experiences either. You know, they like fighting the system or whatever when they're there. So I'm like, I don't really want to do that. Damn, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. That's what's up, man. And so as we like get out of here, like as um talking about your work, man, what do you? What do you see on the horizon for yourself? Like as you think about where you want your practice to go and how you think your work's developing. Um good question. Um so right now I'm just you know looking into like resident more residencies. I got a couple coming up scheduled. Um there's more museum exhibitions, uh just want to be in more collections and I'm thinking more about like legacy, like you know, I want, I need, you know, just institutional support, getting my work into these places so the work can live forever, right? I want my grandkids to be able to go to the museum and, and see and see the work. Like, oh, that's grandma, that's great grandma, or, you know, that's my mom, or, you know. So, I, don't know, I want the work to stand the test of time. I want to do something that's just going to be here, like, because to me, I feel like I'm documenting, like, in a way, I'm documenting history. It's, it's 
you know, it's kind of personal because it's my history, but it's still, you know, history of the time that we live in. So I want that stuff to live forever, to be honest. I talked to Najee Dorsey at Black Art in America a lot, and we we we've been talking and saying something like, "There's more art being made right now than at any time in history, right? Just in terms of like the availability of the materials, like what people mm-hmm. see and can be done." What do you think mm-hmm. is the separation between something that people are making and something that does stand the test of time? What do you what do you think those pieces have that everything else is lacking? Um, I think authenticity, right? So like I said, when I went to the museum and I saw Markley Hendricks, those paintings were made in the 60s and 70s, but I saw my family from the 90s and 2000s, mm-hmm. right? Um, I wanted people to see my paintings and, you know, 2300, like, I'm not going to be here, but I want people to see those paintings and say, I read about that in history, but, oh, this is what was going on, like, because as artists, we are historians. So, I mean, the subject stands, the test of time is the, you know, stuff that tells the truth and that documents what we, what life is like now. Um, So, yeah, it's just honesty, authenticity, and to make sure, like, you're doing your research and like it's real right like there's room for you know people painting celebrities and all that kind of stuff but you know we have photographs and stuff for that and that doesn't necessarily tell the story of or give the feeling you know what the a regular person was going through or i guess an artistic point of view i don't know um yeah, that's a tough one. Like, what's, what's the difference? I guess when you know, you know, you can feel it. Like, you right. can look at some work and, and feel it. Right. So, yeah, as, as you're making it, you can feel it, too. Like, you can, as you're making some pieces, you know, like, okay, this is it. Like, people are going to see this and know exactly what this is saying or what I was feeling when I made it. And you can see it when you see people look at the work. You know when you got one. That's right, Joe. And so, oh, I didn't mention your collages, man. We didn't talk a little bit about this, man. You had a, a whole section on your website uh, just talking about your collages, man. It, it's To me, it it's, has a different vibe than your paintings do. Like, what was what was that explanation about for uh, you? So, to be honest, the collages were during the point where I was painting so much, like, I had to find another outlet because it was just so much painting, and I was just like, okay, what else can I do? Like, I didn't also didn't want to be like, I guess, like a one trick pony, like, oh, all I know how to do is this. And I like to think of myself as a storyteller. And to me, the collages give me the opportunity to tell a story. Because if you look at my compositions, they're, and my paintings, they're all like kind of neat and tight and like simple per se. I mean, they tell a story, but it's like a simple way to tell a story. The collages allow me to be a little more dynamic and add more elements and like, you know, tell like bigger stories. And it was just fun to like find images and try to put them together in a way that they weren't before. So to me, it was kind of like just another way to play in the studio. 
Yeah. And I had this thing where I would bring them home, bring magazines home with my family, and we would just sit at the dining room table. This is how I realized I was good at it. I would bring magazines home, and we would sit at the table, and I would say, okay, everybody, you know, take two magazines and, you know, cut stuff up and, and make a story. And I will always finish first, and I will have these long, drawn-out stories. And they will look at me like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I made a rabbit, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's And then sad. once again, listening to my wife, she's just like, nah, you might want to do this more often. And before my paintings took off, started, you know, selling, the collages were something like, I would post a collage on Instagram, and within like 10 minutes, it would be sold. She was like, nah, you need to just keep doing collages for a while. So, like, while I was building this body of work for this show at Cam, all of 2021, I didn't release any new paintings. Like, I kept them all in the studio, and I would just release, like, a collage, like, once a month or, you know, every two weeks or once a month or something. And every time I released it, it would sell. So I didn't have to worry about selling paintings because I was selling collages every two weeks. Yeah. So it was almost like it was almost like a paycheck, right? It was just like, okay, I got a collages, and people would just buy it. They got to a point where I think people were waiting on the collages to come out because I'm like, I just posted it. How am I getting DMs about this collage already? But I think they, I kind of built up, and I don't even have a lot of Instagram followers, to be honest, but I kind of built up a thing where the people who were following me, they knew, like, okay, every two weeks a collage is going to come, and it's going to go fast. So I'm going to be the first one to get it. I guess it was like a slipon, the man kind of thing. I don't really do any, any you know, much now. Because, I mean, I have such a high demand for these paintings, but I do want to get back to making collages because it's a fun exercise and I like the stories I can come up with. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Look at that. You're still exploring, man. It's all one big exploration, man. I love to see it, man. That's what's up, yo. Yeah, yeah that's what's up. So tell the people where they can find you, man. All right. Uh, you can find me at my website. It's ClarenceHayward.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at ClarenceHaywardArt. You can check out some of my exhibitions. Um, I'm in an exhibition at the National right now, which is up until I think July 25th. Uh, I have an exhibition, a group exhibition at um, Craven Allen Gallery. My solo exhibition is up at the Contemporary Art Museum of Raleigh until October. And um, I have an exhibition opening June 3rd, and that's up for like a year. It's at uh, 21C in Durham. It's an exhibition that's traveling from Chicago. Uh, it's the This We Believe uh, exhibition. I just put like a triptych in there, so that's going to open on June 3rd. And yeah, I think that's it for now. I got a couple of exhibitions scheduled for 2023, and I think one for 2024. Oh, wow. Like, that man, this man is busy, yo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And I'll be at um, Art Basel in December. So. Oh man, you killing it, man! Good job, man. That's what's up. Yeah, just working, man. Just, just working. That's what's up, man. My man, Clarence, Hi- Clarence Hayward, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Oh, man, thanks for having me. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the Bay. Big shout out to Clarence Hayward putting it down showing y'all how to do it <laughs> he know what he's doing next week we got an uh, author on the podcast Glenn Lutz talking about his new book coming out celebrating black masculinity you know we love that all my artists out there don't excuse your passion I get excited I get flustered I can't wait to get in the studio 
gotta make that noise <laughs> make that noise baby yes it's your boy jb studio noise we'll see y'all next week peace thank you for listening to the studio noise podcast subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise follow us on instagram at studio noise podcast <laughs>